Welcome to the Manifesting Clarity Podcast, where we work together to help you receive the answers to your big what's next question. Hi, I'm your host, Jen Roth. I'm excited to share how my journey of building a business as a massage therapist and herbalist has led me to my biggest passion, clarity coaching. My deepest desire is to help you create a life you absolutely love. So with each episode, I'll bring you firsthand stories and proven methods from industry leaders who have faced challenging decisions and stepped into their power to unlock a life of their dreams. It's my intention to bring you inspiration and answers so you can navigate your life's next big step. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm so thrilled to be here. I have Ashley with me, who has been such an, an intriguing person since the second I got to see you and meet you. Um, these are definitely all being audio recorded right now. At some point, we will have the YouTube videos going out and the videos associated with it a bit more. Um, you are absolutely beautiful inside and out and radiate light. And I just from the couple minutes of our conversation today, I'm so excited about what that really means and how your light is shining so brightly and why. Um, so I am going to go ahead and turn it over to you. Have you introduced yourself? This is going to be one of the most fun episodes that we have recorded yet. So, so excited for all of you to be joining us today. And Ashley, thank you so much for being here. Jen, thank you for having me and thank you for sharing me with your audience and sharing your time with me. Um, so I grew up in Canada, super small town with one stoplight. Um, and all the driver's education classes from other towns would come to our town to practice going through the stoplight. Okay. Love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was on the ice in figure skates by the time I was two and a half years old. Hmm. Um, and then I spent the next 36, 37 years on the ice, six days a week. And what uh, made life really uh, productive for me as a little figure skater and straight A student um, really created uh, some conditioning and patterns that later in life, you know, mid thirties, married 10 years with three kids, I was faced with and had to start unpacking. Um, and as I did that, um, I did that because my marriage was imploding. Uh, I really took that perfectionism that served me so well in school and so well in skating. I took that into marriage and motherhood. I was constantly searching for the next highest level of difficulty because in figure skating, like it's, it's a great sport, it's athletic, but there are actual skills you can attempt or not attempt. Like, are you doing the triple? Are you doing the quad? And unless you're trying the hardest thing, you're not going to win. You're not going to get the scores that you want. So I would look around at all of life, not really comparing myself to other people, but asking myself from the time I was really little, hey, what would like the gold standard textbook perfect girl do in this situation? <laughs> um, and I did a lot of this just automatically um, as a young athlete ignoring what my body was telling me to do, 
ignoring when my muscles said they had enough or when my bruises said, Hey, we, we, we need, we need a break. Like we, we can't have, we can't have more impact on this injury right now and ignoring my brain when it would say, Hey, maybe, maybe that was enough for today. That's how I succeeded. It was developing the discipline to push those down and ignore what my heart, mind, body were telling me was the way I felt successful and accomplished in each day. And I took that reaching, striving, looking outside of me for the next thing I could try to do or achieve, which I think so many people do, right? Even you don't have to grow up in figure skating to say, oh yeah, I need to check all of these boxes in order to be a good mom, in order to be a person who cares about other people, who cares about the environment, this, that. This was before pandemic, Jen, and I was homeschooling on purpose. I was homesteading, home birthing, running my nonprofit. I I grew one of Philadelphia's first synchronized skating programs and grew it to one of the biggest in the world. 10 years married, constantly looking at what is the next thing I can add to my plate. And as I'm sure everyone in your audience has experienced, often when we are overloading ourselves, we get more praise from people the more we do it, right? It's like perfectionism is the only addiction that's um, envied by other people. Like, oh, how could I be that disciplined? How could I do that too? How, how, how? And I would always look at people when they would say this and think, wow, I would bottle it up and give you an ounce if I could, but like, I wouldn't wish the full Monty on anybody like this. It's not, it's not comfortable. Well, and how wild, right? Because like, I literally have chills in my entire body. The, um, at least for myself and what I experienced. So I grew up in Michigan, so not Canada and your level of like, I don't know. I feel like Canadians have this amazing desire and or zest, at least the ones that I'm aware of for the ice and for hockey and for figure skating and all kinds of things. And from the girlfriends that I observed and, or the women that were in training, like it is so intense. So perfectionism is one thing in life. And I feel like we all have that bar and that place that we're striving for, we see, and we're comparing to, And for some reason, at least my script in my mind is like figure skating has to be like, it almost takes it up like a, like Olympic level, like it does hit your toe pick in like the slightest way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So there are all of these parts of it, right? Like it's cold, the ice is hard. You have blades on your feet. Um, this one story that I tell in swing is how I would handle it as a little kid. I, I had this notoriously misplaced free leg on my double sow cows. And so I would cut myself regularly, like every other week, my right blade slicing into the calf of my left leg. And um, I would just go into the locker room. Like I wouldn't even tell an adult that this had happened. I just go into the locker room and be like, how bad is it today? Like, you know, two to three band-aids. What do I need today? Oh, wow, this is the biggest one I've had. Um, and then just like patch myself out up and go back out with like tights that were ripped and bloodstained. And it was like, oh, you know, it's just Tuesday morning. Um, mm. Additionally in that is that 
it is a sport where you're not allowed to look like you're trying. You're not doing your job unless you feel almost dead and you have made it look effortless and beautiful. So in my marriage and in my parenting, this turned into me trying to like push down any emotion or feeling I had um, because I, I never knew about feeling my feelings. Like it was just, how can I not feel that feeling? So then when my kids would have emotions, I would feel like my skin was on fire. I feel like, like, okay, I am a burning man here watching this child tantrum. I'm having these reminders of how I couldn't tantrum as a kid and how I shoved this down. And then, you know, my, my overdoing in all the other areas of my life would come out sideways at my kids, like just rage at my kids. Um, and in my marriage, I was thinking, okay, what's the next highest level of difficulty here? And my book swing is about how I took doing it all to the next level as the world's worst attempted swinger. Because Jen, I thought, Ooh, non-monogamy, that seems like even more evolved, even harder. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yes. 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 It's like, Oh yeah. If, if we weren't so jealous, if we were more gracious, if we really like were more open to, oh, I'm here to experience life. And so was my partner. Would anyone really be monogamous if like they could choose it? And so these are the conversations my husband and I would have with each other. And then we were 10 years married. We had three kids. I was still breastfeeding Jen, which is hilarious and fantastic, right? I had like a two-year-old um, he nursed my littlest nurse till he was three because I night weaned him at night. I, I I weaned him at night just so everybody knows that's how I was able to keep that nursing relationship going a long time because I was like he was a year old and I said no more milky when it's dark outside and he went dodge and pointed at the sky and I said yeah go back to sleep and that was it. Um, so I we got to this point where our oldest two had were old enough to go for sleepovers at my in laws and the littlest one. He was only two, but he was like used to just hanging out with his big brothers. We've got three boys. So he could go too. And we were like, oh my gosh, what if what if we just went and did something that was fun? This quickly, um, quickly in my book, the readers can see like I am cruising for a bruising. They're like, okay, this like type A perfectionist who like sees something on Pinterest and is like, oh yeah, I could do all that and even better. Well, then I started researching the swing lifestyle and I was like, oh, okay. Like let's do like full swap separate room. Like yesterday. How about that? Right. I was just like, how do I ace swinging? How do I do this? How do I become like the best at this? Okay. Well, did you you have any resistance in your mind at all during this time? Or is this like just pedal to the metal? (laughs) It It was pedal to the metal. The only way I know how to do something is all in. Got it. That's, Got it. that's it. And so, so at what point did you say, yes, this is something that I'm, that I'm willing to try or I want to like. Um, uh, We were, we were in, we were, we went to a club. We were just going to do our own thing. I was like, that couple's cute. Let's take them to the back room. Like my husband was like, I was just thinking we could come here for the atmosphere. And I was like, oh no, baby, all in. We started dating another couple. Okay, and here's the thing, Jen, for your audience to know. Um, My book, Swing, is like the complete idiot's guide for what not to do in swinging. Like, I think that's why one of the reasons that I felt like, oh my God, I need to tell this story because it was one of the first things I really, truly failed at. And it's 
it's funny. The book is funny and sexy, um, but really the most taboo part is when I realized, wow, I have underestimated the complexities of this lifestyle and overestimated the strength of our marriage that I couldn't unsee that. I, it was like we were looking at our marriage through a microscope and with an aerial view at the same time. For sure. And we saw, my husband and I met right out of college. Okay. We were 21 and 22 years old. And within 11 months, we had our first mortgage. We were ready to play grownups. Like we were not messing around. And for our families and people around us, they were like, oh, Ashley and Manny, they have their shit together. Right. Well, <laughs> We were really good at sweeping shit under the rug, okay? Like, like we were married for about 15 years before we finally decided, oh, what are we going to actually tell our kids about God and religion? Like, Jen, there was like, there was like a gag order on us talking about anything of substance. We were excellent co-parents, business partners. We always had good sex. Um, he was a hands-on parent from the beginning, and he was raised in a Greek Orthodox household. So the first time he buckled our oldest child, Jack, who's now 15, into a car seat, his mom and his yaya, that's his grandmother, were right there. And the way they looked at him and the way their eyes lit up, I thought, right at this moment, there is a parade breaking out in their home village in Greece, like, you know, honoring Manny as the best father in the history of Greek civilization. So I was told all the time how lucky I was to have such a great husband, how lucky I was that he was such a great dad, how lucky I was that he would babysit the kids so I could work. Okay. So all of these things. And I came from a much more progressive family in Canada and coming into this family where my in-laws are not happy, especially my mother-in-law was not happy that I wasn't Greek. Um, I was the first woman to marry into their family who didn't convert to orthodoxy. And normally when a guy would introduce me to his parents, they would be like, Ashley, oh my gosh, we've heard so much about you or oh, and they'd be like, oh, good job, kid. And here I am walking into a home and they're like, are you sure her, you like, you like her? And so that, that was really um, rattling to me. So, but I tried to make it look like it didn't bother me. And of course, because we didn't really dig into these conversations, um, I just tried to kind of skirt around the issue for a really long time. Um, when we started dating another couple, Jen, because we, we went to clubs and I was like, this is hot, this is sexy. Oh my gosh, like being in the same room as another couple doing our own thing. Or maybe there's like a little bit of like cross, like maybe there's a kiss between, you know, two people who are married, whatever. I was like, this is incredible. I was like, this is like the Olympics and the X Games and all of it together, okay? I was like, this kind of attention and this these feelings that I'm feeling, mm -hmm. um, felt so intoxicating. And then I said, listen, I don't want to just be hooking up with strangers. That seems weird. This was before pandemic, right? But I was like, oh, I don't even want to like catch a cold or, oh my God, what if I got a cold sore? Like, no, 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 no. I want to know these people. And I also really have a fear of ending up like tied up in someone's basement. Like, you know, accidentally meeting like a serial killer would be so embarrassing in the swing lifestyle. It's like, oh, 
she just she just wanted to get some action and you know got herself in this situation so we started we met this couple on a dating app like there are dating apps just for swingers all right and swingers are everywhere that's what i want to tell people um every club we've gone to packed hundreds of people doesn't matter where it is in the country we've gone to a club in europe doesn't matter hundreds of people this one club where we were members we found out that there were 8000 couples who were members of this one club like it's it's wild so if you sign up for this swingers app swing lifestyle sls if anybody wants to check it in the app store it will show you like tinder like within five miles, how many other couples are there, right? Like, so if you don't want to know about your neighbors, like don't download the app when you're at home. But is this the wildest time? And maybe it's existed for a really long time, but I'm more aware of it due to experiences I've had in my life. But um, it has, it was, it's remarkable to me to have conversations with people. And like, it's one thing in your business, I don't know. My mind, I love this conversation because I can only imagine how wholly uncomfortable it is for a handful of the listeners, how super intriguing and or yes or whatever lights on it is for others, right? Like there's so many things and topics that we have in our life that cause and create so many different emotions in our body. One of the things I love the most about clarity and that is hugely aligned with who I am as a person is I'm so curious. Like I just want to sit and I'm fascinated by learning all kinds of things about life, right? Especially things that I may or may not be aligned with because it's like, whoa, that's a whole new chapter. That's a whole new picture of a piece of life that I maybe didn't know existed before or who knows what what is happening. So anyway, I just thank you so much for your vulnerability, for your courage, for all of the things in in this um, chapter and experience. And um, going back to what you just said, like in business, it was wild for me to learn that we could geofence and or create like a specific area that you could target people for advertising. And I'm sure advertising has been doing that since the beginning of time. But now with technology and that we as small business owners have access to do things that big companies and corporations have been doing for so long was mind blowing to me. And the fact that we are able to do that within these apps for personal choices of whatever it is in our life is um, like, what? I don't know. The first time I saw that pop up on a phone, I was like, what can happen in five minutes from any time you could like, you could create whatever reality you want. Okay, I love this because you can create whatever reality you want. And I swiftly created this reality where my husband and I were dating this other couple. And um, the guy from the other couple and I, it was like zing, 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 fireworks right from the beginning. And it was not an equal attraction from our between our mates but they went along with it. And you'll see if you read Swing, your audience members, why the two of them went along with it. Um, But what happened really quickly was uh, this newfound attention. And, um, but the universe kept intervening, Jen, and saying, Ashley, you will learn everything you need about this situation with your clothes on. No, Ashley, it's not happening. Um, and I usually love guidance from the divine. I've been meditating for like 15 years, but I 
could not, I could not bring together what I was desiring so badly and what was actually happening. Like it was everything that I wanted to happen. It like, it was like, I got like the reverse order from the universe. Um, and I pushed up against that for, for a while, for weeks and months, I pushed and pushed and pushed against it until it was like, oh my God, Ashley, this is like imploding beneath you. I fell in love with this guy. Surprise, surprise. Right. And then I found out the real reasons underneath why my husband was not bothered by me getting this attention and actually like falling for someone else. I pulled the plug on us seeing them and I pulled the plug on the whole lifestyle experiment. And I looked around at the ruins. It felt like it was like uh, the ruins of my life. It was like, oh my goodness, this has been a house of cards the whole time. The whole time, this has been a house of cards. And I thought that if I just reached and worked and achieved this other thing, that then somehow it would be like this missing link and then everything would like fill, fill out and have substance. And I realized, oh, the only way to build that foundation, to build that substance is to go within. And I had been meditating for so long and still not really listening and not really caring and nurturing myself. I started having all of these physical symptoms, including like two kinds of cancer, all of this stuff, which is like not surprising. You know, my body had been so strong and like my accomplice in everything, every day of my life, like this body that could take me through a hundred hours on the ice over two weeks of choreography camp. And I would feel better physically at the end than I did at the beginning. All of a sudden I'm seeing doctors like every two weeks. Okay. I had seen no one, but my midwife for a decade. And I sat in meditation and I said, what do I need to do to get better? Like, what do I need to do? And I heard you need someone who loves you better. And I thought I knew it. My husband is the problem here, right? So I asked, so do I, do I ask him to leave? Do I leave? Do I get a boyfriend on the side again? Cause like that really didn't seem to go very well the first time. Yeah. Um, and for months, Jen, I got no further clarity and it was, I was pissed. Like I would, you know, my timer would go off each morning meditating and I would be like, thanks for nothing. Like I'll see you at the same time tomorrow. And finally, maybe six months in. I'm sitting there like it's, it was half meditation, half prayer, and then a sprinkle of begging. Okay. Like, what do I need to do? Like, tell me anything. If I need to stand on my head for um, six hours a day and like eat nothing, but like soybeans, like I'll do it. What, what's the training plan for being happy? Like, please just give me that. Yeah. And I heard again, you need someone who loves you better. And I was like, yeah, I heard you the first hundred fucking times. Thanks. And then I heard, and it's you. And I thought, well, okay, thank you. Why didn't you just tell me that the first time? Because that's, that's something that I could, that I could work with. And I started writing myself love letters every day, every day, love letters from myself, love letters from my spouse, love letters from my kids, love letters from skating parents who were being a real pain in the ass. And through this, 
I started to nurture that part of me that I had felt for the first time when I we'd opened that door to the swing lifestyle. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm way needier than I thought I was. Like I'm getting this attention from another guy. And the attention was like texts in the morning that would say like, good morning, sunshine. Like I couldn't wait for you to text me. So like, I needed to text you now. It's 9am Jen. And, and he's like, I am still thinking about that funny thing you said yesterday. And I was like, oh my God, like this, it felt like like the promised land, like being seen, being witnessed, being understood, someone thinking I'm fun, like all of these, like just basic, basic needs that now when I look at my kids, I'm like, of course, humans need this every day. But in me, anything that felt needy as a child, I said, that is unsavory. That is gross. That is impossible to tolerate. You will not be needy. You will do it yourself. If you don't know how to do it yourself, you will learn how to do it yourself. This independence, this hyper independence, and this hyper focus on achieving was the way I thought I was going to feel whole, that I was going to feel better. Totally. So that practice of writing the love letters to myself and going, oh, what do I need? I'll give that to myself. What do I need? I'll give that to myself. Like writing up like just order slips. Like I I would like um, some compassion and I would like uh, to be told that my outfit's nice today. Thanks. Okay. 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 Just like feeding that to me. Everything started to change in the way I saw the world, in the way that I saw my kids, in my ability to be compassionate for them when they were having big feelings. I was like, oh, feelings aren't like life or death. Like feelings can flow and you don't have to put a lid on it. I really had such a hard time for the first you know, decade of my parenting whenever my kids would be just asking me for something, but they would be like way out of balance. So they'd be like yelling or pleading or they'd throw something on the floor. And I would be like, oh no, there is no way you are getting something if you ask that way. Okay. And I thought if I did give in to them, right, John, like if I, that I'm teaching them, they could take advantage of me. I'm teaching, they're going to definitely grow up to be sociopaths. Like there's just no, like, it's just all bad. And then I started like flirting with this idea of, oh, what if it doesn't matter what their behavior looks like? I can see what they need and I can help them get that. And like, even as I say it now, still a certain amount of terror rises up in me because like, that's not the way I was raised. Mm -hmm. And I really thought when I would ask for things as a kid, my parents were doing the right thing by not giving it to me. And I was terrified still to do things the wrong way, to mess up parenting, to mess up my kids by giving them too much, by doing things for them that they could do themselves. But when I would do these things and see, oh, wow, the sky didn't fall, wow, they're actually more considerate the next day after saying, yeah, yeah, let's, let's get that thing on Roblox or let's just, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's spend this extra time with your friend instead of doing that chore that we thought we were going to do. I, I realized, oh, the boogeyman that I thought was going to jump out by like just allowing things to flow 
never arrived, Jet. It never came. Through this, I got to the point where I was ready with my ego to admit that maybe my husband and I weren't like really very good at the emotional intimacy part of marriage. Like we always had things figured out in the bedroom. We were, we never fought about money, great co-parents. But I said to him one day, I said, impressive. It is. We had, we checked a lot of boxes. Yeah. And, and even though, like, I love that you say that because even though we're checking a boatload of boxes, there's still a piece of us, right. That doesn't feel whole or complete or like it's doing enough or whatever that enoughness is, especially when we're seeking outside of ourselves for whatever we're looking for. Right. So this conversation is so heartwarming because being able to figure out how to turn inward is the biggest gift. So anyway, keep, keep going. I don't mean to cut you off, but like, that's, that's huge. A lot of people, at least for myself, I would have told you 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when I got married, if I could check those boxes, I would, I'd feel fantastic. And it's amazing how, when you get to that place, there's still something else, right? There is. And there's so much confusion and shame around that question of why don't I feel better? Why don't I feel whole? Why don't I feel happy? I felt miserable inside my lovely looking life. And there was so much going on refugee crisis, this, that I was like, Oh, not only am I not grateful enough, but like, I am a shit shithead person for, for not just appreciating what I have. Um, but I could, I couldn't go back to the before times, like, and, and just have everything under the rug and like feel good enough. Um, even though I, I, I wished so strongly that I could, and I was like, I'll just be, I just take me back to before I realized I had these feelings and that things weren't as strong as I thought they were. And I will just be so grateful. It'll be fine. Right. You can't go back in time. And also the, the gifts in front of me were so much greater and more freeing and more love filled than anything I could have like faked my way through checking all those boxes. And the way we got there was I I said to my husband one day, Hey, you know, I really think that maybe we've gone as far as we can, like married, like I, don't know if we can do this any better. And I think we both deserve something better, but because neither of us really know how to do this, I don't think we're going to get there together. Like, I don't think we're going to get there as a pair. And I want our kids to know, even if you don't meet anyone else and I don't meet anyone else, I want them to know that we want them to set the bar higher for themselves in their adult relationships. And I'm willing to take like an L on the marriage and say, Hey, kids, there, there are so many things that mommy and daddy do so well together. This whole like connecting and really being partners with each other on a deep level, we can't figure that out. And we are so excited to see if any of you do, because we would love to learn that from you. And it was a huge blow to my ego to even consider like, oh, I had been fantasizing about divorce for a decade, but thinking I couldn't do that because like I couldn't. Um, you know, when you get married, you don't say, Hey, everybody, thanks for coming. We're going to see how this goes. 
um, you know, we're going to like give this the old college try. Like we'll, we'll let you know every Christmas card if like, you know, we're still married. Um, <laughs> um, which I actually think marriage is like a little bonkers anyway, but very bonkers, but yeah. it's very bonkers. So I turned around to, so I said like, you know, so I think maybe we're just done here. And I turned around to walk out of the kitchen because I was feeling really free and a little excited. And in my, in, in swing, this is something that I think your audience will really like. I'd started playing this game with myself where in order to reevaluate, radically reevaluate everything I thought was important and all the things I thought made me a good person. I played this game where I started doing the thing I most judged other women for doing. Nice. Not just for a minute, but like committing to it. So one of the things I judged other women for doing, because I always ran my own business, I was really jealous of women who got to go to work and like work in a building, like separate from their children and someone else like watched their children during the day and they got to do their work time and then come home. Okay. Now listen. I was on the ice like six days a week and I would even travel for work and my husband or like a, a whole like slate of babysitters or my mother-in-law would take care of my kids. I already had people helping with childcare, but in my mind, when kids were crawling all over me and I had no boundaries and I didn't even have a proper workspace set up in my house, you know, laptop, like in the middle of the Legos, I felt really jealous of that. And I, and it, it and the way that my jealousy comes up. So just to tell your audience that they, they probably, everybody probably has like a slightly different version, but the way it comes up for me is like this really quiet little snark, like, Oh, must be nice. And so I started doing this thing when I'm here, oh, must be nice. I go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, come here. And I would pick that thought up and go, Hey, Kate, say that to my face again. It would must be nice to what it's okay. You can just say it right. Oh, must be nice to have someone else watch your kids while you get to go work. Like, quietly, like in an office with grownups, I was like, oh, okay. All right. We're going to do that. We're hiring a nanny. We're hiring a nanny and I'm going to set office hours and I'm going to go in my office and work for, you know, they're going to be 20 hours a week where I'm in my office working. Boom, boom, boom. And that nanny is also doing meal prep. She's putting away laundry. She's booked all these things. I was like, I'm just going to do it. Next thing I did was instead of homeschooling, right? Cause this is before pandemic. I was homeschooling on purpose. Um, was I'm just going to send my kids to public school. Like it's no big deal. Okay. No one ever makes a decision for their kids. It says, Oh yeah, no big deal. Okay. I, but in my mind, I was like, I, I had started so many homeschool classes and groups. Like I actually started a homeschool wilderness school. I started, I had a Lego tutor for my kids, which Jen was actually brilliant. The Lego tutor came in and when my kids were like, three and five years old, he would do Lego projects with them to teach them like about symmetry and scale. And like, mm. they built a chess set out of Lego and they played chess with it. Like it was really, even the other homeschool moms were kind of jealous of that one. They were like, yeah, Ashley, so that's good. cool. Okay. I was doing all of these things and my kids weren't really that happy. And especially me and my oldest, Jack, we would butt heads all the time, not really even about schoolwork, but like eat your breakfast today or yes, put on your socks. Um, and I started thinking to myself, wait, when was he the happiest? And I thought, oh, okay. When, when he would go to theater camp 
and he was like busy with other kids all day and he had to like learn the script and he like studied it at night. And I thought, okay, maybe I should start like a winter camp where like he can be around other kids all day and like, you know, have projects that like are sort of like homework. And I was like, okay, okay, what what I do I need a space? Do I need a teacher? And I was like, Ashley, that already exists and it's called school. They'll even get picked up by the bus. Okay. And it's actually paid for with your tax dollars. You don't actually have to pay a thousand dollars a week to send them. Like you can actually. So I walked into the local elementary school in December of his third grade year. And I said to the principal, like, I'm looking into homeschool retirement. Like, can you help me? <laughs> he said, yes, I think I could help you. And he went to school like seven days later. Okay. Like right in the new year. Um, so when I had that conversation with my husband and I walked out of the kitchen, I was like, all right, you know, Glennon Doyle had recently um, left her husband. Liz Gilbert had left her husband. I was like, all right, maybe the next thing I'm going to do that I judged other women for doing is leave my husband. And I don't think I'm going to marry a woman, but I'm just like leaving like all, like all doors open. I don't know. But then Jen, and this was really annoying. He looked at me and he goes, babe. And he burst out in tears. And I was like, okay, you didn't even cry when our kids were born. You didn't cry when we got married. Like, what, what is this? What's going on here? And he was like, you and the kids are all I've ever wanted. All I've ever wanted. And I was like, well, it could have fooled me because because it doesn't really, you know, hands on dad, but like emotionally involved with our kids. Like, not so much. Not so much, right? Like, I would talk to them about all the things that like required actual talking. That day, things actually did start to change. And I didn't believe it. And I thought, okay, wait, usually changes last for like 48 hours. But it was like I was suddenly unmuted. And I have this joke that's not very funny that growing up in a Greek Orthodox household, he was trained his whole life to ignore the sound of a woman's voice. That makes sense. Right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Keep going. And oh, good. He actually kept changing. And I was like, oh, I was sort of excited about one of us getting our own apartment and like seeing like what spiritual lessons are here for all of us taking this path we didn't expect. But he really kept changing. And I think what happened now that I look back is that in that moment, his fear of being emotionally vulnerable, because I think he felt, wow, I have this woman who who is so dynamic and now has realized she's so emotional as well. And if I'm going to match that, and if I'm going to flow with that, I'm going to really have to open up. And for whatever reason, probably a hundred reasons from his childhood, a thousand reasons, he was like, that's not, that doesn't feel good. That does not feel safe. Mm -hmm. But that fear of becoming emotionally vulnerable suddenly became smaller than the fear of how life would be if his family wasn't in the shape he expected. He was like, oh my God, like what if we have to like alternate Christmases? He was just like, I can't, I can't. He's like, you know, the dog, where would the dog? Oh, he was just like, I can't, he couldn't even handle the thought. And I was like, well, if you can't handle the thought of that, then like maybe consider handling like emotional intelligence, maybe try that. Um, so it just kept changing and changing and get, getting better and better. And with that, I realized I really do get to have what I want. I really do get to have what I want. Here now I have this marriage that I actually didn't even imagine. 
like my whole life, I wanted a marriage that was sort of like here and the marriage I have now is like above and beyond. And I was like, wow. Um, because even with all of that reaching and achieving, there was still this like fear of actually getting the things that I wanted. Yeah. Um, because I think down at the bottom, I was desperately trying to prove that I was worthy. There was not a true belief that, oh, that could be mine and I would still be a good person and I could do that and I would be a good person. So with an actual foundation that's continuously being uh, strengthened because this is a process that never ends. Then I looked at my career and I thought, wait, I've always wanted to be a writer. Oh, that's all I ever wanted to be. But here I am, you know, 30, 35 years just at the rink every day. And I, I realized, wow, figure skating has a way of taking over a life sort of like a forest fire, like leaving little attention and few resources for anything else. It's like, this is what we're doing here. Well, and, and so does anything if we let it, right? Like, absolutely. Literally, like we create, it's so wild to me how. I study neuroplasticity. That's what we do, right? For our coaching and helping people rewire their brains and all of these possibilities. And still it is remarkable how real certain situations feel, right? Cause, but, but we've created this whole situation that like you say earlier, the boogeyman never comes when we don't end up doing what we think we need to do because it's this outside force telling us, or pressure, whatever, instead mm -hmm. of us figuring out like, oh my gosh, if I could wake up today and do whatever the heck I want, what would that be? Right. Okay. And Jen, that takes me into this, like, I always was waiting for, okay, my skating teams to reach a certain level of success or for the people around me, like extended family to like be at like a stable enough place. And then I could do the thing I really wanted to do. And I thought, okay, maybe, just maybe, I could pretend that I'm the main character of this story. And I could say to myself, hey, um, what move would the protagonist make right now to move this plot forward? What would they do? Would they be waiting around for someone to do something? Like, that would be a boring-ass movie, right? Or a boring-ass book. It was like, and again, she woke up and she scrolled through social media and looked around and said, when is it happening for me? Um, there was, there was a part of me that really felt like the only way I would know I was worthy of success is if I was like tapped on the head. I grew up in the eighties and nineties. Okay. During like the greatest era of like supermodel dumb, right? Like the Cindy Crawford, the Nikki Taylor, like Christy Turlington, right? And I, these stories of like Kate Moss, how she was discovered. Okay. And I was like, oh, that's how, you know, you're worthy. Like someone discovers you. Right. Right. So I'll just like put my head down and work and be like good little human here. And then someday someone will come out like genie out of the bottle. Right. We're using a lot of metaphors here and be like, oh, you're the one we've been looking for. Can you come and like, you know, change the world and reach millions of people. And do you want to be famous too? And I'd be like, oh. And I could look back at my family or whoever and be like, oh, they, they, who's they said, said, I need to go do this. Okay. I thought, you know what? I have told my athletes, because I'd coached hundreds of athletes over a couple of decades, 
listen, you get to decide what you do in your life. Like when I'm counseling them, like, you know, what college are they going to choose? Or are they going to continue competing in skating in college or not? Right. All of these things. Cause a lot of my athletes would be with me from the time they were like seven or eight years old to when they graduated high school. Totally. Okay. Um, I would say, listen, everyone around you is going to have an opinion and you'll have the answer period. So it's like, your parents think this, I think that blah, 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 blah. What about you? And it's like, well, I think blah, 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 but no, I was like, no, we're going to go back to that. So I started doing that with myself and saying, all right, what I really want to do is be a writer. And I, I want to, I want to write the story. Well, I didn't want to, Jen, I tried to write like five other books. The story that wanted to be written was the story of my marriage swing, the story of like, okay, you know, going to these lengths to try to feel alive and to try to get, you know, to try to feel something. And it's like, do, do we even know what we're, what we're looking for here? No, but it's just something. And then figuring out when it's like, okay, I feel really, really empty, but I don't know what goes in there. Um, that, that process, that messy process of going, wow, I need to relearn. I need to relearn all of it. And I'm willing to do it. So I retired from skating um, and started writing swing. I had two agent offers within 12 months. Things happened really fast. I signed with an agent. I was completely underwhelmed by the experience of having my pitch, my creative work pitched by someone else. Mm -hmm. um, and I realized at that point, wow, I've been recruiting for a sport that no one even knows exists for like 20 years. I have marketing chops. Like I understand, I understand what would make people say yes to this. I understand because being in one field my whole life, I didn't even know what I was good at, Jen. Like I really didn't. Yeah, that makes because, sense. You know, you're doing the same thing over and over and over. And then I came into writing and um, on the eve of my 40th birthday, uh, as a gift to myself, I broke up with my literary agent. Congratulations. And thank you. It was one of the best, I think it was the best birthday present ever. And I had about, I've been really working hard to get my writing out into the world, even when I was transitioning out of skating. And I've been growing really slowly, um, 500 followers a year on Instagram. So I was at about 2000 followers and I loved them so much. Um, and I had five followers on TikTok, two of my kids and three of their friends. Okay. <laughs> and I made, after I broke up with that agent... <laughs> I made a video called how to keep monogamy hot part one. And I didn't even know what part two was going to be. I just called it part one. So I'd be on the hook for myself to make a second video. Nice. Nice. Jen, my audience grew by 55,000 people in 45 days. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What? Wait, things can happen so quickly and so easily if I'm just having fun, because mm. I had to wait. I thought I was going to try to get another agent. I was like, okay, this isn't the right agent for me, but I have to wait 45 days till I contact any other agents per the contract. And I had some emails prepped for other agents who had been interested, like beginning of pandemic. And we're like, oh, I just can't take on a new author right now, but oh my God, I, I really love your book. And I, I, sorry, it's not the right timing, but I'm glad you have someone. Well, after those 45 days, I was like, okay, I'm just going to delete those drafts. I'm not sending those emails. So I started my own media company, my own publishing imprint. I self-published Swing. 
I outsold five books on the New York Times bestseller list the first week. I sold 5,000 copies in my first week. High okay. five. Oh, that's awesome. And I was like, oh my goodness, what can happen when I don't wait? Yeah. The way the way I got my agent was I acted as if I already had my book deal. I put it on my calendar. Whitney Frick is a publisher for Penguin Random House. Her imprint is Dial Press. Okay. I put on my calendar manuscript due to Whitney February 1st. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to rewrite Swing. And I did. I Because I had I'd been querying agents and um, I got some feedback. I was like, you know what? I'm going to rewrite this whole thing and I'm not going to hold back. And I added 22,000 words of detail and dialogue. And I said that I wrote, I wrote the book that I was like, this is the book I want published. And then, you know, agent offers that quickly. And then when I, when I posted that, how to keep monogamy hot part one, the thing I asked myself was, okay, whatever. You just broke up with your agent. You don't know how this book's going to get out into the world, but what if it already came out two weeks ago and it's already at the top of New York Times bestseller list? What would you post today? You know, your book's been out. It already happened. It already happened. So today, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I just want to make a funny video about like choosing what time of the day to have sex. That's it. And it sounds bonkers because it's um, way easier than the almost kill yourself and make it look effortless and beautiful thing that I did every day. But the quantum leaps in my results and my freedom and my relationships, that is the thing I, I live by now. Like, what if this already, what if the thing I wanted already happened? Act as if, what do I do tomorrow if I reach my goals today? What do I want to do tomorrow? Um, and it is really getting into that different frequency. It's really seeing potential seeing opportunities with new eyes um it's a practice that has oof, all that energy that i lovingly gratefully excitedly put into getting things done for so long when i can put that into oh what would it feel like right now? Like right now, my thing is, how am I going to feel when Swing reaches 10,000 new people a day? Because it, there are exciting things happening with the book. I've signed film rights, signed the film rights to a producer. It's going to be a streaming series. We're trying to figure out who the co-producers and what, you know, could be a Netflix show, Jen, right? Uh, so fun, so fun. So now I'm like, Oh, if 10,000 new people found swing today, like, what would I want to do? Like, how would I actually feel? And from that place of like, satisfaction, and like feeling filled up, what would I want to do? Because here's the ultimate fear that's like been coming up for me lately is I've always thought the only reason I work, the only reason I do, the only reason I put creative energy towards things is because I haven't got what I want yet. Mm. 
And I have this fear that if I get what I want, then I'm not going to like the version of myself that I am. Like, I have a fear that I'll be lazy. I have a fear that I won't have any new ideas, that my new ideas just come like out of desperation. These are all the new things that are that are coming up. And so just like when I heard that, must be nice. And I was like, wait a minute, say that to my face. Now I go, wait a minute. Okay, 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 come here, come here, come here. Okay, that lazy thought, come here. I'm going to sit you on my desk and tell me again. Oh, so you think I only do things because like I'm desperate for success? Uh, all right. I'm trying to think of a day in my life since I can remember that I wasn't so excited to try something new. Like sometimes I have ideas for six new businesses, like before breakfast. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's why I totally laugh because I just don't think that our personality types and I don't know how like we're definitely different people and individuals and like, I'm not sure that the entrepreneurial type or creative type has the ability to turn off any spigot when right. in alignment for sure. And yes, you can get knocked <laughs> to your knees and your feet uh, off whatever, but like you're going to be I don't know. I really love that each time I go on vacation now, I'm like, oh, I really would like to be working actually, because I've got so many things that I want to get done, which is so yes. different than previously in my life where I was like, oh, I can't wait to have a vacation coming up. And I like literally feel so blessed that I've been able to travel so much and do so many things. And I'm like, um, but there's so much that is coming out and coming through. The ideas just <laughs> bubble go. up. Like you can't stop, won't stop. Don't worry about that. Right. Yeah. So, and so one other thing that I want to say just for listeners is I feel like one of the things that I was so challenged with in the beginning of shifting my mindset and understanding how to create more awareness for ourselves is how do we catch those thoughts? And so I love how you are literally like pulling it out of like your back pocket or your pocket really being like, I'm going to look this person myself and what I just said to myself in the face and have a conversation and a dialogue because that's our frontal lobe of our brain, right? Those thoughts that are coming through, pausing, totally becoming the observer of our life. And that's when we get to start having that intimate relationship with ourselves, which is the only thing that's going to change everything, right? Absolutely. And, and do it at every level, like it doesn't matter every, how much it doesn't, doesn't it matter doesn't, how awesome your marriage stop. is. Yeah. It, it doesn't stop. And those little thoughts, because it's the ego and it's your fears and it's conditioning. And like people who study in, internal family systems, like it's a part of you that develops to protect you at some point. Right. Um, but they're all pretty stunted. It's like they're all in third grade together. So they're like, no one's going to like you or you don't look good. Or it's like, you're dumb. It's like so basic, but you're like, okay, Hey, Hey, I, I'm in, I'm in the committed state of catching myself on my own bullshit. So I don't care how dumb it is. I want to hear it. And it's like, yeah, pull it right up and go, Hey, what was that? Okay. This one hit me the other day. It was just a week ago. Um, because my book has, you know, it's, it's taboo, right? Even as it becomes successful, I have this like feeling that there are people in the world who are 
ashamed of it and ashamed of me because like, why did she have to write about that? Like, why couldn't she just, and this is all, no one, no one's really said this to me. This is just like my own fears, right? Like, why couldn't she just write a nice book about skating? And it's like (laughs) that no one would read it, but thanks. Okay. (laughs) All right. And I, I, I need, I want, I really want people to see the journey that I went through because thousands and thousands of people have read this. And most of the messages I get right now are from men who see themselves in the book. Jen, I wrote this book about being miserable, married to a man and men read it and go, oh my God, my wife needs to read this too. Because what I did was I allowed, when I did that rewrite and I added those 22,000 words of detail and dialogue, what I allowed was, you know what? I'm really going to go down and I'm going to open right up and I'm going to say, hey, this is what it feels like for me to be human. See this, 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 it feels this bad or it feels this scary or it feels, it feels, it feels. And people go, that's me. Yeah, the same. Yeah. Yeah. Because when you just go, Ooh, one of my favorite memes, Jen, is this meme that says that awkward moment between birth and death. That's all it says. And it's like being human is so awkward and For most of my life, I thought it was because I wasn't good enough and I was doing it wrong. And so I tell my kids, oh, no, no, you're going to feel annoyed probably every day till you die. Probably. You're probably going to feel sad probably every day for a little bit. Probably. It's like, I don't know. We can't like put ourselves in a situation where we never feel these things. It's like, oh, what what do we do when we feel them? What do we do for ourselves? Um, So... That I think is the reason why people relate to the book. And I wanted people to have that because I I allude to it in the book, but it was dark. Like it was really, really dark for me. And I want people to know that it can feel that dark for you too. And there's something on the other side. And I knew, wait. And the way I found this out was the first scene in my book, Jen, I'm at an invite-only sex party in New York City where I had to send in headshots and a relationship bio to get on the guest list. And it looked like a casting call for The Bachelor. Everybody was beautiful. Okay. The way I found out these things, it's like if Fifty Shades of Grey and Eat, Pray, Love had a baby, like that's my book swing. So I'm like, people are going to are gonna want it. And the fact that it's not all like, oh my God, being human is hard. There are funny parts. You know, there are sexy parts. It's like all of the years of choreographing skating programs helped me refine my storytelling skills. That it's like, this is the message I want to get across, but this is the way that we can present it to people. So they are on an emotional journey that they can handle. They're like loving the ride. Like they want to turn the pages. So this thing that I have felt is, oh, but Ashley... No one's really going to be proud. You're not really going to feel like your parents proud of you, like your family proud of you, like ever again, because the thing you chose, the vehicle with that you chose to tell your story um, is a sex club book. So I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. It was like this. And I was like, tell me, tell me what you're saying. And that's what I heard. Like, but you're just, you're doing, you're doing things that you're proud of, but other people aren't going to be proud of you. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. Can I think back to like being a kid and my parents feeling really proud of me? And like, I felt it. I felt it. And I was like, yeah, I can. I like zeroed right in on the feeling. 
All right. And I feel it right in my solar plexus, Jen. Like I feel it right now. And like, I, I stand a little straighter and my shoulders relax. And I feel like I'm like, it's like holds me, like feels like buoyant, like right under my heart. And I thought, oh my, oh my God, I can feel it. I can feel it right now. Yeah. And I realized in that moment, oh, that feeling never came from that. That came inside of you. Yes. And that comes from source. And you can plug into that anytime you want. And I, I was in a hotel last week um, in LA and I said, whoa, okay, I have this feeling and I wonder if I could get in the shower and hold this feeling the whole time I shower. And I did. And I stepped out and I was like, this, this feels like witchcraft and I like it. And then I held that feeling until I fell asleep. And I realized, wow, wow, wow. What other feelings are we searching for high and low, right? And just like martyring ourselves to try to hook onto that we actually have access to all the time. My gosh, I am so grateful for this conversation, for your heart, for your spirit, for everything that is radiating through. And I have no idea about all of you listeners, but I have to say we have to have Ashley back over and over and over again. <laughs> um, you are such a breath of fresh air and I'm so so, so happy to be able to be, I feel beyond blessed to be in your presence and have an experience and be in a container of getting to know you more and getting to explore life in these next chapters of what it is that we're called to do. And it takes courage and it takes so much time and effort and energy for us to figure out how to have a relationship with ourselves. And the fact that that's the work that you're doing in the world and that you're helping other men and women learn or people, all people learn how to love themselves more, um, is been the quest that I have been on personally. And I look forward to having a really fun conversation with you when the timing is right about what my whole life, um, of marriage has looked like, because it was, it has been the most turbulent ride. And I'm so grateful to be standing on what feels like solid ground and so much play and expansion and joy and love and intimacy in a way that I've been seeking and searching for so long and searched all everywhere else <laughs> for it, because I just didn't think that it was going to exist in the day that I got the courage to have a conversation that I was pretty like 99% sure a hundred percent that we were going to be divorced. And I was going to be like painting the similar pictures that you've shared, yes. um, was the moment that my husband also was in tears and I saw him for the first time becoming intimate. And it was or the, the emotional piece, right. Coming yes. through. And that was the biggest, one of the biggest gifts of my entire life. And as much as I thought that that was going to be a piece that fulfilled me, it still was like, oh, okay, well, that's another thing, another notch in the ring. Right. But yes. it is that internal piece. And I love that you and I are parallel right now in these moments of our life of like, we do get to choose and we do continue to get to choose of 
we get to paint these ideal pictures. And you shared this morning that you went on a six mile walk with your dog around the lake. And that is like non-negotiable, right? Like these pieces of our life, we get to include, especially Mm -hmm. when they create that container and that fulfilling feeling that you described so well of what if our parents are proud of us? And when they were proud of us, what did that feel like? It is all about the feelings. And I just, I thank you so, so, so much. I wish we had hours more today. So, um, I thank you for coming, for joining. Will you share how everyone can find you, where they can buy your book? I am so excited. I can't believe that I have not read yes. it just yet. And so by the next time we have a conversation, I for sure will. And I so, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I cannot wait to come back again because I feel like we are just getting started. And um, to your lovely listeners, send me a DM on Instagram. Tell me that you heard me on Jen's podcast. I would love to say hi. I respond to all DMs. So I'm Ashley Renard on Instagram and Ashley has lots of extra letters. It's 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 the extra letter, Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-I-G-H. And then Renard, which is French for Fox. Um, but I say it, you know, the very non-French way, Renard. And you can get Swing anywhere the books are sold. If you get it on Amazon, there's also the audiobook version on Audible that I narrated, which I really loved doing. Um, you know, and then it's available Kindle, paperback, or uh, audiobook. And yeah, I have a, a keeping it hot tip sheet. If you go to my link in bio on Instagram, and then you'll be on my email list. I send great and very fun emails. Um, I have about 30,000 people on my email list and we have our like own little party over there with uh, email content that I send out. Wow, 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 wow. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you everyone for listening in today. Make sure to tag and post and reshare this with as many people as you possibly can because this is, it's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. Thank you for your message, for your words and for all of the energy that you brought today, Ashley. We'll talk to you all again next week. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Manifesting Clarity. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others to find the show and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you in the next episode.